1: the imposter syndrome kicks in. So I always say it's a really good sign if what you're doing already exists and nobody can do what you do, how you do it. Everybody does it differently. Everybody has their own story. Like 90% of us are our own ideal clients, which is why self-disclosure and coaching is such a beautiful thing because people are like, wow, she gets it.
0: Welcome to the Money Skills for Therapists podcast, where we answer this question. How can therapists and health practitioners go from money shame and confusion to feeling calm and confident about their finances and get money really working for them in both their private practice and their lives? I'm your host, Lindsay Bonham, therapist turned money coach and creator of the course Money Skills for Therapists. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. So today's guest is Carly Hill. Carly Hill is a business mentor for therapists, helping them outgrow the office and add online coaching for added revenue stream. This is uh, obviously a topic that I know well, having lived it myself. Uh, So it was great today having Carly on. She helps clinicians make more money, earn back their freedom and flexibility, all while protecting their license. So today we got into that topic of license. How do you make sure that you protect your license? That's something I hear Again and again, and that I know I always have a little bit of hypervigilance come up when I hear folks starting to talk about offering coaching, making sure you get the right things in place to protect your license. Uh, We talked about perfectionism, how to actually just get stuff out into the world. We talked about some of the barriers to moving into coaching for therapists and, importantly, the difference between therapy and coaching. How do we distinguish between these things? How do we know when we're doing one or doing the other? so much to talk about here. Great conversation with Carly today. We've definitely walked the same road in terms of moving from therapy into the coaching space and just like putting things out into the world. There's lots of gems here for people who are considering adding coaching to the way that you support the folks you love to serve. Here's Carly Hill. So, Carly, welcome to the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you. You know, what you teach and talk about is something that I think is on many therapists' minds. Like, something that I find with therapists that I support is once they get kind of their mm, financial stuff in order and they're less, like, stressed about therapy and money and their private practice, what folks often very quickly want to do is, like, expand beyond. Like, what else is there? And that is where you come in. So can you talk a little bit about what you do and how you help therapists?
1: Yeah, and I love that you said that because me personally as a therapist, when I started my private practice, like that was me. It's like, I got a glimpse and a taste of freedom and I'm like, whoa, what else is here for me? Yeah, freedom is pretty great, yeah. Yeah, that's what it's all about, right? Freedom, flexibility, security. So my MO is helping therapists add coaching. We do it ethically, legally. So we really focus on protecting your license, because there's a lot that goes into that. And it's all about really kind of moving out of the one-to-one business model, tapping into the group model, like how can we work smarter and leverage our time? So at this point, you know, especially if you have a private practice, you've been in the field for many, many years, you're good at what you do. Maybe you're sick of repeating yourself. You want to impact more lives. And unapologetically, you want to make more money. So there's many avenues to do that. But I have definitely found through my own experience that coaching is one of the many avenues that you can expand your revenue as a therapist. Mm, yes.
0: Yeah. And something about therapists, I've been reflecting on this on my own relationship from shifting from being a therapist to a coach. And like coming into this new year, I feel like I'm kind of fresh. I'm seeing my work with fresh eyes where I'm like, yeah, these are the conversations I used to have in private to some extent like not the interventions cuz i don't use therapy interventions with my coaching clients but like some of the ideas or the way that i talk or just my my general skills this is what i was doing behind closed doors before one on one and now i'm doing it in front of hundreds or thousands of people yeah right so it's like that like coming kind of like coming out of the therapy room and into the world is something that I think a lot of therapists are really curious about. And I'm I'm curious, like you mentioned that piece about protecting licensure. And I'd love to start there because that's always something when folks talk to me about coaching, is I'm like, make sure you understand your license restrictions in your state. From me, like from the financial perspective, I'm like, set up two different bank accounts. If there needs to be any separation, make sure it's really legally distinct. What is like the general guideline for therapists? Because something that I see therapists have anxiety about, and understandably so, is are they going to be accidentally practicing therapy as coaching and can they hurt their license? So like speak to that, that fear. Cause it's, I think a legitimate fear that therapists have yeah. about switching or stepping into some coaching on the side.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. So the best advice I can give is separate everything separate, separate, separate. So you want to have a separate business entity. So if you have your private practice and it's an LLC, Separate coaching LLC, separate bank accounts. We don't want to be taking in revenue in our private practice where we're only licensed in X state when you can see clients nationwide, worldwide, and you will. That's going to be a red flag, right? Even for accounting purposes and doing taxes, it's just going to be a messy headache if you have everything in the same place, anyways, right? So, separate LLC separate bank account, separate paperwork. So uh, your coaching contract is very, very important. You are still held to your ethics. So mandated reporting, informed consent, that needs to be on your coaching contract that you're providing to clients. So those, those are the main things where people get caught up is like marketing, right? And do I need to have two Instagram handles and two websites and two Facebooks and all of these things, right? And so that's not black and white. It's not illegal to have both coaching and therapy on one website, but we don't want our clients to be confused. Our clients don't get to choose whether they want therapy or coaching. I mean, ultimately they can, but we need to use our clinical discernment on what are they needing? Like, are they needing to be treated for medical necessity? Or is it this more situational, non-clinical, less severe problem? So although the stigma has gotten better, I feel like with therapy, some people could only fathom getting help under the umbrella of coaching when in reality, they really need therapy. So you could have like a segue on your therapy website that goes to your coaching or you have a disclaimer that's like although you know coaching is similar in nature to psychotherapy these are the differences and hopefully you would get them on a consult call before they go one way or another anyways and you can use your clinical discernment
0: yeah and that that's a really good point to be aware of i haven't completely thought about that of like that path right like if you have Even if you have a couple different brands that you're working under, when somebody comes to you making sure that they're going in the right door, Mm -hmm. right? Also for just your ethical obligation, as you say, like if someone is suffering from severe depression or like there's very active trauma symptomology, you don't want to be selling them this like beautiful coaching package where, you know, mostly you're just going to be doing like fun, surface, future-oriented, like planning kind of stuff when what they really need is like deep therapy, right? and yeah. like Trauma reprocessing. And this is somewhere where I do see like some blurriness in the coaching world. Do you, do you
1: see that too? Like it gets confusing and there's so many nuances to it because, and this is, why I always say the easiest definition really is like therapy is treating medical necessity. Coaching is working with that more situational, non-clinical, less severe problem. It's about the severity of the issue that you're treating at hand like there's all these definitions like if you google it you're probably going to be more confused on what the the actual difference is between therapy and coaching and some definitions i really don't agree with like such as like you know coaching is working on the future and therapy is working on the past it's like as a therapist and a coach i know that you you work on the past present and the future whether you're in a therapeutic relationship or you're in a coaching relationship and somebody could be meeting criteria textbook DSM and still be a fit for your coaching program. For example, I had a therapist turned coach who had a coaching program to help women who have come out of DV relationships, get back into the dating world and have confidence. So a lot of them actually were meeting criteria for PTSD. They had their own therapist and they had worked on or currently working on that, but her coaching program was very specific to confidence in the dating world. It was that situational, non-clinical, less severe problem.
0: Does that make sense? That makes so much sense. I mean it's a really good discernment. Like this is a conversation that I actually had a lot with one of my coaches who worked for, for me in in my course in Money Skills for a Therapist a couple of years ago. And, you know, she's got all this rich clinical toolbox she's a psychologist but also doing some coaching for me in the course and like we had a lot of conversations kind of like philosophical and practical of like what is coaching and what is therapy and how do you know when you're doing each and like my answer for her and I'm curious about your answer for yourself I was a trauma therapist so that was my specialty I don't practice therapy anymore I now just fully do this you know financial coaching and business coaching but for me, there's a very specific way that my brain is working when I'm doing therapy. I'm really like, I'm going into the pain. <laughs> that's really the work I was mostly doing with folks, right? As I was doing trauma reprocessing. So it's like we, you know, hear that there's a negative experience and we're going right into that experience and we're doing all of the resourcing to stay with that. And like everything is about getting to the root and resolving the root. And that's a very specific for me in my body I know what that feels like when we're when I'm in that space with somebody and when I'm doing that and there's this huge toolbox that I used to do that work right in this huge filing cabinet of trainings that my brain is like you know going through to like pull out all the information to do that it's very like complex work it feels very different than the coaching work that I do right coaching work I find for me is very light in my body it's fun it's very I'm very quick to to use like personal disclosure which I ever 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 did as a therapist as a therapist i was so boundaryed, so aware of like my own story having you know no place in the clinical room the vast majority of the time in coaching i'm aware that folks want to know what i do and what i've done because they want to get the results that i've gotten right so and when i see pain now in one of my students which of course everybody has trauma it's like that's a great thing for you to take to your therapist like, I don't yeah. even like, you know, like we, we look at it from like 15 feet away yeah. and we're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense that you feel this way because of this experience you had, you know, are you working with a therapist? That's great. Right. Yeah. Like, it's just yeah. like, I'm, I'm have a very different relationship to like where I'm focusing energy and attention. I'm curious, like, yeah, your reflections on that as a, you know, discerning between the two and and what your own relationship is playing these two different roles,
1: coaching and therapy. There's so much that I can say. So I feel like we get weird sometimes about like, what am I doing? Like, am I, am I quote unquote doing therapy or am I doing coaching? Right. And again, it goes back to, you know, are you treating medical necessity or not? But we think that like, we can't use all of our clinical modalities and training and schooling and background when we all of a sudden put on our bonus identity of being a coach. And the reality is you can use CBT, DBT, EMDR, literally we have trainings, every letter of the alphabet, right? So like, and there is like, you could Google like CBT coaching certification. When we hear these things, we think therapy, especially EMDR as a trauma therapist, right? But you're probably thinking that in your head, like, I, well, how the hell do yeah. <laughs> you use EMDR in coaching? I am. Please I am. tell yeah. me, Carly. I had a client who did peak performance coaching with athletes to help them outbeat their competition. And she was doing EMDR with them. It was that very situational, non-clinical, less severe problem. So again, it's just like, what is the the issue at hand that you're treating? Uh, You can absolutely use all of your clinical modalities in the coaching setting. And also, I think we get tied up with the word coach sometimes. And even just because we work so hard for our license, why do we want to call ourselves a coach? It can feel like a downgrade. It's like, I don't want to be like all those other coaches on the internet. This is the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But as a coach, it's kind of like you're... A teacher, like you're doing psychoeducation that you already do in therapy anyways. So I had a massive realization when I had my private practice that I was actually coaching the whole entire time. I wasn't even doing therapy. I just thought I was because I was therapist by trade. But when I really started studying, like, what is the difference between therapy and coaching? I recognized that I was doing coaching. I was helping women who were not meeting medical necessity. It was like those that I would give adjustment disorder or anxiety unspecified. And I was doing a lot of psychoeducation with them. I was teaching them. So I find that oftentimes therapists are doing that too, but they're limiting themselves. It's really hard to go into treating medical necessity, even if you tried when you're creating a curriculum, like a recorded course anyways, to help them get from A to B problem to solution. And you're taking them through like the six to eight milestones to get from problem to solution. It's like you're a teacher.
0: Yeah, that language really yeah. resonates with me a lot. Yeah, a lot of what you're saying, it's pinging. I have have many thoughts about the coaching world, kind of having stepped into it in a way kind of accidentally, you know, of like just wanting mm-hmm. to do certain work and you're like, oh, I guess this is what I am. Yeah, but that educator distinction is something that I've noticed myself is like, I identify largely as a teacher and an educator, like a financial educator. I'm doing like popular education around finances, right? I'm taking something that can be very difficult to understand and intimidating and making it accessible, right? But also clicking it into this specific space of this niche that I serve, which is therapists. So folks who are very emotionally intelligent and need that mixed in with their information, right? Like we need that relational and emotional aspect. But that's such a a helpful piece to pull out because I know for me, that's when I like really know I'm coaching. Like I'm teaching, right? Like I don't have the space in my programs or even my one-on-ones to like really do any kind of medical treatment, right? Like the container's not set up to support that. Like actual medical treatment that I used to do for folks took Months and months and months, or years and years and years of focused work together, of coming back to the same thing and getting stuck with that thing and looking at it from a different angle. And like there was some amount of psychoeducation that I was doing, but really I was doing trauma processing. <laughs> it's like looked very different. Now, education is such a big part of what I do. And I, I love you pointing that out because I think that that's often missed in terms of coaching that that, that is a lot of what we do is, is we are teaching, right? Like we're teaching yeah. the framework that we've developed, but we're also just teaching general information in a way that's going to get somebody a certain result.
1: Yeah. Or even like a faster result. Like I think there's such a beauty in coaching, not only for the therapist, but for the client. It's truly a win-win. Like, you know, you get to leverage your time and your skills and your knowledge and technology as a therapist, which is a beautiful thing, but also not everybody needs therapy. And if they're not needing to be treated for medical necessity... They could come into your very specific three-month educational curriculum program and get faster, easier results with this proven step-by-step system, even on their own time, because everything's recorded and they can listen to it when they're doing other things. It's such a win for them. Like It can save them years of their life, thousands of dollars. It's just a win-win.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Certainly, that's been my experience with it. And what I found, too, is the impact that I can have by packaging up the process that I've developed, right, and by, like, building in these specific supports means that I've had, like, 500 folks go through my program. Yeah. And some of them I know because they've showed up to a lot of calls, and I know exactly who they are. Some of them showed up to literally no calls and just did the work on their own. But there's no way that I could have helped 500 clients individually in that same time frame, right? Yeah. Like, it's just such a bigger impact that you're able to have. What do you see are some of the biggest barriers that therapists have to the idea of stepping into coaching or owning the fact that they might want
1: to step into coaching? Well, definitely the protecting licensing that we already covered because therapists just think it's like too daunting. I always joke like they're afraid like the ethical gods are going to come after them. Like it's not an excuse to not add coaching. There's steps that you need to take. It's not that difficult to keep everything separate. If you have a blueprint in front of you, somebody's giving you the paperwork that you need, like you're good. Niching is the second biggest barrier. I think we're used to solving every problem under the sun and morphing into whoever's in front of us. That when you go to create a curriculum for a very specific population with a very specific problem, you're like, Whoa, what do I even choose? Mm -hmm. And something that's marketable and viable as well, not just like a nice to have or an addition to somebody's life, or you're going to fall on deaf ears, right? Like you want to sell something that's going to sell like hotcakes, right? If this is really going to be an additional sustainable revenue stream. Yes. And that is
0: a helpful thing for folks to think about is like with business, you know, you need to sell something that people want or need, right? Right. So like really taking the time to identify, am I selling something that people are asking for? Or if they're not asking for it, how do I help to educate them so they do ask for it? Because that's something about my course and my audience is they don't know what their problem is, but they know what their pain is. So a lot of the marketing that we have to do is around educating folks, you feel this way because of this. And like, this is the solution, right? But we're actually having to do a lot of education with folks before they understand like, oh, the problem is that I don't have a financial system and that I have a bad relationship with money and that can be fixed and Lindsay can help me fix it. Like we're walking them all the way along the marketing process. Whereas for other types of niches, people might know that they have the problem and they're going to come looking for the solution, right? But you do need to be selling something that people want and need and asking people, to figure out what that is, because that is something that I do sometimes see a mistake that therapists make, and I'm curious what mistakes you see them make as they try to step into coaching. Is I see folks spend so much time building something, but they haven't really validated it or built an audience, and then there's nobody to sell it to, and they've done all this work, but there's no appetite for it.
1: Yeah, so good, well spoken. The the level of buyer's awareness, you know, of what you're speaking to is is incredibly important, which is why market research is important when most people go to do market research and they're googling you know other coaches that exist or they're assessing the needs from potential clients and prospects if they get scared that well if this already exists and all of these coaches are already doing this why me who am i to do this why wouldn't they just go read x y and z book or go to sally guru pants you know mentor who's already killing it And then they don't do it. And the imposter syndrome kicks in. So I always say it's a really good sign if what you're doing already exists and nobody can do what you do, how you do it. Everybody does it differently. Everybody has their own story. Like 90% of us are our own ideal clients, which is why self-disclosure and coaching is such a beautiful thing because people are like, wow, she gets it. Yes. Right.
0: And I really love you saying that because I've sometimes heard from my own students who again it's like they go through the course and then at the end they're like I actually have this dream to like do something else right you can start to own I want more but what i have folks say to me sometimes is they're like but i don't have something like super unique to do like like you do and i'm like no 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 don't do what i did <laughs> mm-hmm. like the fact that for my business i built something that didn't exist before that i don't have a direct competitor is really rare and, like, not actually what you want. What you actually want is exactly what you're talking about, where, like, there is already an audience for it. There's already other people doing it because there's demand for it, right? Like, my business is harder because I don't have competition because, as I said, I have to educate everybody about what their problem is before they can even think about, think about working with me at some point, right? And so, yeah, seeing other people doing what you do is a good sign.
1: Yeah, and it works though. Just to to your point, and in your business, being sustainable, right? Educating them on the different level of buyer's awareness. So it may be a longer process from when they come into your world and become a paying client, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't work, right? But you were willing to take the chance, and you were willing to try. If I could take a guess, probably because of your own story, mm-hmm. right? And maybe lacking what you basically created and had to learn. The hard way yourself, which is typically like why 90% of us are our own ideal clients, right? Exactly. Yep. But you mentioned you see a lot of people like create this beautiful thing and then they go to market and sell it and it falls on deaf ears. So I always recommend to sell before you create, create it as you go. And this is really daunting for the type A people, (laughs) but this is what you want to do, right? So you need to be an integrity selling something that you haven't yet created. So you need to know, like, what are the deliverables and what you're offering? What are your bonuses? What are your guarantees? How long is it? What is the investment? All of that stuff. But if you're creating a recorded course, for example, then, you know, you have week one, maybe week two done while they come in, they're watching week one, while you're recording week two or recording week three. So you have your outline, again, you're an integrity, but you're creating it as you go. And that's really going to allow you to make it so much better anyways. Like what if they ask you questions in week one that you forgot to add in week two, then you just go add them in.
0: That's exactly how I've built all my courses.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And as you
0: say, it is a challenge for the type A amongst us. And like, I consider myself a recovering perfectionist, but this is the advice that I give folks when they ask me about like building something is like, sell it first again, exactly as you said you know the path like you know the general path you're going to walk them down you know the general skills or you know kind of the order of things that need to happen but by actually building it as you go you're catering it to exactly who's in your program and it's going to be better than you sitting alone in your office imagining somebody going through the process so yeah this is how I built my core course money skills for therapists is I built it it was a six-week course and I built it one week at a time it's like I would run the call my partner was helping me build it. We would run. I would run the call. We'd get off the call. I'd be like, okay, now I need to make seven videos. <laughs> and he'd be like, okay. And we would just like go for it and make it and have them posted by the next day. And 80% of that content is still the core of that course because it was good. And it remained good. And now, just the other day... I went and started adding some more content and like tweaking things and improving and changing. But like that foundation is still the same. And I built Money Skills for Good Practice Owners, which is my second level course. I just came out of six months of building that the exact same way. Yeah. Right. You have no time to get in your own way when people are expecting lessons to drop, you know, in the next
1: week. It's the best way. And it's such leveraged work, right? And it's such a breath of fresh air and just like a huge accomplishment when you can look at all your recordings and you're like, damn, I did that. I created this thing, this whole thing, right? Yeah. I love that.
0: Yeah, totally. And then you can sell that thing over and over again.
1: Yes, you can. Yes. yes. It's leveraged work. Yeah, it is. So it's kind of short-term pain for the long-term gain, right? Because it does, not going to lie, like suck a little bit at the beginning when you're like, oh no, sorry, I can't. I'll be in my recording studio. And by recording studio, you mean like sitting at your desk with your microphone, (laughs) right? But it is like blinders until it's complete.
0: Yeah. And I, I also like for myself, and I'm curious your experience with this, for me, I do also experience it as kind of the creative process, right? Where it's like, it's a lot of work, but I'm also in the flow. Like I'm living it and I'm breathing it. And like sometimes I'll, I started using deep work sessions when I was building money skills for group practice owners where it's like Fridays, it's all I'm doing. I'm not answering emails. I'm not available. I don't coach on Fridays. I'm just doing this. And sometimes I would spend two hours building a lesson and then I'm like, no, it's too specific and I'll scrap it. (laughs) But it's like, I'm like, in that, like, you know, sometimes I make the joke, like, I'm an artiste. I'm going to go into artiste mode, which is when I'm doing things not well in advance and not super strategically, but I'm just going to go in the flow. But you create great stuff from that space. Like, it's flow. You're, you're letting yourself get into a flow state because you have to. But also you're, like, making it a priority so that you, you have the opportunity to. I'm curious about, like, your own experience with building things like this.
1: I 100% agree. And if you can get out of your head into service as soon as possible, it's going to benefit you tremendously because when you are launching something, like you're so focused and you're wearing all of the hats on doing your market research and dialing in your messaging and doing social media posts and getting on sales calls and enrolling your first few clients into your program. Like you're just doing all of these things and you do start to question or imposter syndrome comes in and it's like, Who's gonna buy this? Is anybody gonna buy this? Like, if you can just put it out there and get your first couple clients, and you can get into that state that you were just talking about, the flow state where you're recording and then you look back on what you just created, or you listen back and you're like, whoa, that was that was good what I just said. Like, mic drop for a second. So it it really will help you have more momentum to keep selling and advertising, and then you have more confidence and conviction. And what you're even selling because you're in flow and you're looking at it and you're like, that is good. And it just, the energy pulls through to your audience.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I've been talking in a few places this week about perfectionism, right? And how much that slows us down. I just did a presentation today in the group practice exchange community about financial perfectionism. I was just talking about it on a call today. And like the phrase that always comes to mind for me around it is like, perfect is the enemy of done, Mm. right? Like when we don't make ourselves do it, when we don't sometimes create that container. So you're like, I just got to do it. And like, I'm going to say stuff. And then I'm like, damn, that was good. Which I have that experience with myself fairly regularly. (laughs) If I just make myself talk, I end up saying something that I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I meant. But I didn't know it until I was saying it out loud. That's my creative process. But if I don't make myself do it, and if I think about it, and if I want to make it perfect, sometimes it just doesn't even happen. That thing just never materializes unless I give myself a bit of pressure and a deadline to make it happen. And if it's not perfect, it doesn't matter because you're teaching and you're gonna like get that feedback from your students and you're gonna tweak it or you're gonna like have a conversation where you explain it and then you're gonna go back and add that to your video. But like you have created 95% of the finished product by doing that.
1: And it's always better than we think it is, even when we think it's bad. Right. We're just really hard on ourselves because we are those type A
0: people. So true.
1: I use the 80 20 rule. This can be applied to multiple different things in business. Right. But I say be 80% sure and move on.
0: Mm, Yes. It's
1: 80% good enough. And then you move on because you could just come back and you can redo it. But it's like you got to keep the momentum flowing.
0: Yes. Yeah. And the 80 20 rule can you explain that for folks who are not familiar with it?
1: I always say with marketing, like 80% value, 20% hard promoting. Mm, yeah right yeah so that's another way
0: yeah and there's that like diminishing returns piece right where it's like yes. the work that you do it's like you have like got it to 80 percent. that's a huge difference that last like 10 hours of work is only going to make it that little tiny bit better which is not worth it right it's much better to move on with your energy and build something something else something new the term that we've been using this week in our own team is just ship it which I I think is from Seth Godin is my understanding where like, it's like, just ship it. You just ship it. And I even found a little mailbox emoji (laughs) that I'm starting to use with my team. Just ship it. It's great. Good enough. Just ship it. Yeah. Right. And like, just get it out into the world because chances are that like obsessing that we do and that like extra stuckness isn't actually going to make it that much better. Sometimes it even makes it worse because we end up taking out something that we think is bad, but is actually quirky and is why your students love you in the first place. 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. So Carly... For folks who want to get further into your world, can you tell them more about where to find you, where to follow you, what you offer?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I would say the best place is my Facebook group, The Therapist to Coach Accelerator. There is like 50 plus free trainings in there. Just this past week, I brought in an attorney to speak about protecting your license. So any of the folks who are listening who that is maybe a big barrier for them, they can learn about that in there. You can also follow me on Instagram, Carly Hill Coaching, or my website, CarlyHillCoaching.com.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. This is great food for thought. Wonderful to also talk to another therapist turned coach. And I know there's lots of valuable stuff here for people who are considering making this transition. Thanks, Carly. Thank you. I appreciated Carly's distinction today between that, you know, medical necessity, treating folks out of medical necessity, or doing this more, I don't even know how she would describe it, but like, cause she said future oriented isn't it, but, you know, not treating folks out of medical necessity and trying to get really clear on, you know, what is therapy, what is coaching, and making sure that folks come through, you know, the right door when they find you. There's lots to consider in this space. And I noticed myself, I still have like a little bit of vigilance about it, but I'm so glad that. Folks like Carly are out there helping therapists think through what they're doing, protecting your license, setting up things in a way that protects you, make sure that you're um, acting ethically and just owning uh, what you have to offer the world. Because that's the other thing that I see is that, you know, therapists, we tend to undervalue our skills and undervalue just how much we know and how much we've learned. And there's so much opportunity to help folks far beyond the therapy room if you can really. Step into your skills and own what you do. Put it out in the world, and as Carly and I talked about, just ship it. Let yourself do it imperfectly. You can always uh, clean it up later. So, appreciated Carly coming on the podcast today. You can follow me on Instagram at Money Nuts and Bolts. And if you are interested in working with me and in experiencing my course that I've created, my offer that's been out in the world, as I said on the episode today that more than 500 students I just was looking at our teachable today. It says 533. We'll take off like a few team members for that. So let's say like 527 people (laughs) have gone through Money Skills for Therapists so far. And I continue to have like amazing conversations with Money Skills for Therapists students every week watching them like kick butt. So if you are curious about Money Skills for Therapists, the way to learn about it is through my masterclass, The Four-Step Framework to Getting Your Business Finances Totally in Order, Uh, I will put the link to that masterclass uh, in the show notes. Uh, You can check out that masterclass, learn about my framework, uh, learn about the biggest mistakes that therapists make while trying to get their business finances in order, and uh, learn about money skills for therapists and whether it would be the right container, the right support to help you feel calm and confident about your business finances. So link for that is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening today.